Uh, let me welcome uh, everybody. Thank you for coming. This is the last seminar uh, for this academic year in our series. But not least. Uh, uh, absolutely not uh, least. <laughs> it is indeed a great pleasure to have Thodoros Pelagidis uh, with us uh, today. Thodoros uh, Pelagidis is a professor of economics at the University of Piraeus in, uh, in Greece, and he has uh, uh, a claim to an LSE affiliation. He was a visiting fellow, professor, professor fellow uh, here in 2000, 2010, sorry, yeah. not that uh, many years ago. Uh, he. Precautions. <laughs> 2010, a few years back. I was not so precautious at the time. <laughs> Uh, he has also been visiting uh, research, a visiting professor in a number of uh, international centers, also in uh, uh, in Harvard and in the, in Columbia University. Uh, he has uh, been writing at least for the last four five years uh, one book every month or, <laughs> or so, <laughs> uh, mostly about the uh, uh, the Greek crisis. And uh, I think his presentation today uh, uh, indeed touches upon uh, these issues, talking about the. Um, the crisis and the way out of, uh, of the crisis, the growth project, uh, and this relates also to, to a forthcoming book, which I'm hearing is going to be out in May. Uh, yeah, next May, um, in June. In June. Um, so I will not uh, have no. a, a long introduction. Uh, I, I think the presentation is quite long, very interesting from uh. what I, I, I saw. So I will pass on the floor to you. Uh, uh, you have. 45 minutes, give or take. Okay, thank you, Vasily, and thank you for the invitation and the kind introduction. I'm pleased and honored to be here with you again after four years. Uh, uh, this time to lecture on my new book, uh, which I hope will not sound Greek to you. <laughs> let me also take the opportunity and um, thank the, the Troika of the... Uh, Hellenic Observatory, <laughs> uh, Kevin Vasilis and Spiros, yeah, for doing such a great work uh, here, uh, hosting young researchers and um, inviting or inviting people like like me, trying to do whatever it takes. This is the famous phrase of Draghi uh, to keep the, the Greek academia alive, <laughs> uh, to contribute to the public dialogue. Uh, despite the serious adversities uh, that the economic crisis has brought to the country and to the academia, etc. Uh, so let me begin by saying that... Um, uh, have you locked the door? Uh, this book it is actually a work uh, is the principal of the Troika has come <laughs> <laughs> of the observatory. <laughs> so um, uh, let me begin by saying that um, this book is actually uh, a work done on behalf of uh, by myself and Mike, Mike Mitsopoulos, my co-author, my permanent co-author on behalf of the Brookings Institution uh, with the mandate to write down three sections on before, during and after the crisis. So let me begin right away with the first slide, which is uh, how we proceeded. In section one, we analyzed the so-called Greek paradox of fast growth and low competitiveness for the period before the crisis. Then we had the mandate to investigate the role of domestic politics 
especially during the 1993 period where decisions were taken um, about uh, policies to be implemented for the convergence period, uh, the ratification of the Maastricht Treaty by the Parliament to assess the role of domestic politics. politics. For example, did the MPs uh, know the risks, the reforms that should be done, etc. And uh, third, uh, during the same period, we look at the IMF EU reports to the Greek government. We looked at the, um, uh, yes, at the, the classified and unclassified documents, assessing whether the warning signs being sent to the government were appropriate, whether they were emphasizing, and how much the right reforms that Greece's economy was needed to implement in order to be prepared and adjust to such an, uh, a competitive and demanding uh, Eurozone future environment. So, uh, uh, no. <laughs> Is the research incomplete? What is it? This is scary. No, don't worry. Don't worry, we'll have it. It's my influence. It's Paul, Paul Thompson's influence. <laughs> in some time to <coughs> so back to the previous period the uh, yes all right this the so-called uh, back then that was called convergence the orange bars uh, are the GDP growth rate of Greece and the blue of the eurozone so Greece clearly outperformed since 1995 the benchmark eurozone economy um, especially, uh, this is evident during the 2000-2005 period. Uh, this is very important because um, you see the real disposable income uh, by deciles. Uh, you see uh, the 10% of the poorest people in Greece earned 40% of income during that period. Uh, see also Portugal and Spain. Uh, with an alike uh, uh, evolution, development, and the uh, expansion of, uh, during the same period, of household credit, and you see the lines there, um, which um, uh, the, the expansion was a driver of uh, private consumption, see the bars, there was an annual percentage, percent increase of about, uh, on average, 4% during the whole period, uh, see also the fading uh, of this effect as the uh, as we were approaching uh, the uh, first year of the crisis 2009. Um, the other uh, phase of Janus, the the, the so-called Greek paradox, has two phases: the low competitiveness at the same time, despite high growth rates of four or five percent on average. During the same period, we had the we had the uh, persisting inflation differential with the eurozone of about 1.5 or 2%. Uh, this was not clearly a Balassa-Samuelson uh, case, simply meant that uh, productivity was not falling GDP growth, 
um, um, and uh, creation of positive net employment was lagging clearly behind GDP borrow-driven, let's say, uh, growth. Uh, there was a persistent current account deficit uh, which reached in 2006-2007 13%. That means that we had um, a GDP in 2008 of 235-38 uh, uh, billion and we had a deficit of 13%, uh, that's around 30 billion, 30 billion each year uh, deficit. Uh, so high budget deficit also, uh, which means uh, uh, the deficit of current account plus inflation. We have to add to, to all these unfortunate uh, developments, the red tape and the, the, the growth stifling regulation, the bureaucracy. The fact that the FDI were practically zero, only a few millions, and the, the, the public sector debt steadily excessive above uh, 100%, and a consistently low competitiveness rankings relative to per capita GDP. Uh, so, as every bubble has its burst, uh, we ended up with a, an income expenditure or an income competitiveness disparity. So, one way is to close this gap is to to increase competitiveness uh, to match income, the other is to decrease income to match competitiveness. Uh, one way or another to close this gap you have to, uh, at least in the short term, uh, you have to devalue. And since monetary accommodation was not an option, had to devalue internally. The question at the time was uh, how and which exactly uh, was the right recipe uh, which elements of cost to devalue, for example. So, um, in this context, I would like you to keep in mind that this is not a perfect monetary union. The euro is a hard currency for Greece. It's uh, at the time 130, 130 something. Surplus countries like Germany deny to reflate in Eurozone, so you don't have the option to increase exports in order to compensate for um, uh, decreasing expenditures. And there was at the time of very reliance on foreign funding, which makes Greece extremely vulnerable to changes in, in lending conditions. Um, back to the question of Section 1 now, uh, our research has shown that politicians, yes, uh, did know both the risk of Greece's accession, accession to Eurozone and the structural reform, reforms needed, but they did very little things, especially during the period 2000-2010. Why? Read Viking in Greece <laughs> in our uh, last book on, on this, um, let's say, rent-seeking kleptocratic um, uh, regime. On the other hand, uh, 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 IMF and EU, especially IMF, kept stressing problems in all this period, but offered rather mild expressions. And that happened also uh, during, uh, just before the crisis, during 2008. This is very important. We consider this uh, situation and this uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, very soft alarms from the part of, of the IMF as the creditors first before the crisis failed. So I um, enter now the section two uh, with a mandate to, to study the crisis. Um, and uh, I, I, let's say, name this section the depression of the century, keeping in mind the famous phrase of Michael Douglas, 
to Sharon Stone um, in the film. Um, uh, what was the f the? Um, never mind. The basic instinct. Basic. Shut up, house, please. <laughs> So this is the crisis period of Andrea Jr. wins the elections with the famous phrase, Greece has plenty money of, of money to spend, and good luck from all Iran. So, uh, yes, it took seven months to agree on an assistance program as market access had already been lost, and that was uh, a problem at, at the time, and a serious mistake from the part of the Greek government. So we entered the, the Troika period, and... and um, let me now focus on the the the, 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 the second credit, or let's say the credit of second, I would say political uh, failure, which is let the Greek government do business as usual, as uh, it, at least in my view it was urgent to save the too big to fail eurozone banks and cancel any spillover effects on the rest of the euro area. So uh, the first problem was that the Troika did not press the government to materialize the details of the, of the first uh, uh, agreement. Uh, instead, it accepted lopsided large increases in taxes with only minor reductions in expenditures. And this way, by preserving the so-called rent-seeking structure of the, of the expenditures, it substantially bailed out the political system, but not the taxpaying productive sector. Uh, we do not argue that policies to increase tax revenue should not have been part of the program. We argue that the sky-high debt and deficit could not have been tackled except through a combination of both cost-cut uh, 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 and, and, and revenue increasing and revenue uh, cost-cut policies and revenue increasing measures. Yes, I think that finally initially helped the political system, um, but not um, by not cutting rent-seeking expenditures at least the first couple of years of the program during 20, 2010 and 2012. The second problem was that the IMF and the EU in fact learned from developments on the ground. Uh, there were also unfeasible requirements. Uh, remember, there were 50 billion euros from privatizations till 2016. Projections hugely way off. The projections for unemployment in 2010 was 14%, and growth will resume in 2012, and market access will restore in 2013. No kidding. Uh, lending policy was also a problem at first place, uh, undermined sustainability of the program. Um, productive economy then was almost at the time expulsed from the Eurozone and experienced a true collapse. Uh, the program went off track. Uh, the 2012 Grexit talk was the final blow. So the adjustment took the, um, the form of uh, heavy taxation. And if you need the proof, I will show you this um, <coughs> slide. And the message. Uh, you get from this table is um, just taxing anything that moves. So, um, as a result, sectors that contribute significantly to exports, like metals, uh, have been hit by large energy cost increases. Um, 
which are entirely due to excise tax increases plus uh, some government-sponsored pricing strategies. So for a few dimes, uh, you lose employment, you lose social security contributions, you lose taxable profits. This is not a smart deal, uh, uh, I think. Uh, you see the distance between the two lines, the excise tax increase and uh, for, for Greece and the prices on the same product for Greece and for European Union and Eurozone countries. Again, again here uh, uh, you see the producer price of electricity and gas has risen compared to the rest of the EU and this is for the critical period, especially 2010-2012, for the per first period of adjustment. Uh, how they are supposed to export these uh, uh, industries. Uh, also, Greek consumer prices have also been directly and disproportionately affected by the increase in indirect taxes. We have a cumulative inflation of around 10% for 2010, 2011 and 2012 in times of eternal devaluation. Make believe that. And uh, these uh, uh, slides uh, show you the, um, the, the, the difference between the uh, uh, consumer uh, harmonized consumer prices uh, with constant taxes and, uh, and with the tax storm you see again a distance between the two lines Greece uh, with uh, the tax storm and without uh, the pink line again and and a couple of other uh, slides about uh, 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 regarding uh, 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 fields and uh, sectors of production like uh, food including alcohol and tobacco with constant taxes the the up uh, the up uh, side uh, uh, figure and and the other one uh, you see with uh, um, the, the taxation which is the difference between euro area and Greece again and the same uh, goes with the uh, service sector you see the postal services and the passenger transport by railway again especially during the period 2010-2012 you see a, a large distance between comparing Eurozone and European Union countries uh, with, with, um, with Greece, which is the, the blue line. So uh, again, uh, this is the last graph uh, regarding uh, high taxation, high prices, which undermine the strategy of eternal devaluation, which is the euro area and Greece, the pink line, and with constant taxes, we can see here that the terminal valuation might have been suc successful, at least to, a, to an extent. So the second pink line is with constant taxes. So the, the third failure, uh, at least in my view, was to, you know, for the valuation. And at the same time, tax heavily the productive sector of the economy is very critical because you expect from productive sector economy to export in order to compensate for the reduction of expenditure. Uh, so inflation is up and competitiveness goes deeper, deeper down. And the one million question here is how a country with a depression of the century uh, at the same time can uh, pay back a storm of maturing bonds uh, during the same period. Uh, so there is, in, in, let's say, an inherent contradiction between debt sustainability on the one hand and real depreciation on the other hand. So. Um, the, uh, the classic article of that period uh, at the time is the article, is the, actually was a lecture, 
but it became an article at Brookings Institution by Brad DeLog and Laurie Summers about multiplier. And then, uh, and then uh, uh, most of the academics and the policy makers uh, uh, emphasized that the problem with the program in Greece was that the multiplier was wrong. But my view is that I think you know, it's, it's, not, it's not exactly the multiplier stupid. Uh, it, it is the fact that with no competitiveness boost, efforts to improve fiscal positions end up to large negative multiplier effect, given that there is no interest rate and no exchange rate channels to offer any offsets. So the simple conclusions here are that prices have to go down by the internal devaluation recipe to work, but by taxing heavily the tax-paying productive sector, the private sector of the economy, instead of cutting the rent-seeking state, at the same time the recipe cannot work. And, and it's not, I would like to emphasize here, this is not a neoliberal supply-side position. The rent-seeking state is there, you have to decrease expenditures in order to, to do the job. And the other adverse side effect is that, that the debt to GDP goes sky high. This is textbook macroeconomics. And then good luck with your money, dear creditors. Uh, if, if your strategy uh, thinks that you're going, it, it's going to work. Uh, so uh, let me now uh, uh, turn to the four failure, because three failures so far do not suffice. Uh, which is the uh, <laughs> the attacking first and foremost private sector wages that is attacking expenditure that is attacking GDP. So uh, uh, look at the first of all, please look at the steady distance between the Euro area and Greece. Here we have the 42 percent Greek, uh, Greek wages below the eurozone average. And this is only uh, until 2012. And we have uh, a real depreciation of minus 12%, uh, including all the, uh, let's say, greater, uh, greater um, uh, uh, public organizations, uh, uh, firms like uh, the electricity, etc. Uh, and uh, it is projected that this minus 12% during the crisis period will go to 21, yes, minus 21 projected to the end of 14. The other thing, which is myth-busting, I think, is in levels, not the percentage change, private sector wages in Greece were low, relatively low, in 2009. And if you see before, if you have uh, seen before the uh, the distance between the two lines, the distance is, 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 is steady since 2000. But in any case, uh, uh, as I said, in levels, private sector wages in Greece were low in 2009, even more so if you took out the state-sponsored sectors like, again, energy and electricity and, and utilities, uh, which used to be uh, the the refuge, the shelter of the highly paid rent-seeking customers of the political parties. But these are things very well known, I think, to most of you. So, um, the, 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 
there, there you see the corporations and the total economy, micro corporations, that is the state sector, and and you see again that the uh, the pink is the total economy minus corporations. The private sector, that is the tax-paying compensation, fell more tax-paying sector of the economy. Compensation fell more than in the public, the tax-receiving, let's say, sector. And now the balance is worse than it was in 2009. So I think this is the, the through the fourth failure of the of the MOU. Uh, and and let me just uh, something that Vasilis would like, I think. Was labor cost ever such a big issue? Uh, the the let's get the steel mill and aluminium smelter and see the labor cost as a percentage of all cost and the energy cost as a percentage of all cost and you will see that the the percentage of labor cost is very low it's 10 or 15 percent. Uh, this is the way to act to to help the export led recovery. Your support to help with an internal devaluation strategy. Reduce wages and increase energy costs in industries where labor cost is 10% or 15% of all costs and energy up to 50%. This is a great idea. Um, regarding the state, also the thin line is the remaining expenses of central government to net CG budget revenue. And the, uh, uh, the dense, let's say, line is the, the salaries, the public sector employee pensions, etc. Instead of cutting remaining expenditures, which is the thin line, and implement structural reforms within the state, which sharply and horizontally, especially after 2012, cut wages. And what is the, what is the focus on waste reduction and value for money services? Again. How did they miss this? Yeah, labor cost is only 18% of GDP. Administrative cost is 6.8% of GDP. It's the highest in Europe. Okay, 80%, uh, it's, it's, maybe it's low because half of the labor is self-employed. But again, it's very low. So, um, I think that uh, it stood out as, it stood out as the, the Greece as the country with the smallest potential to improve uh, cost competitiveness through the reduction of the private sector wage bill, and the country with the largest potential to improve cost competitiveness through the reduction of the red tape, the bureaucracy, etc. Another myth busting the public sector, uh, yes, was large when compared. Uh, not the population, because it's only 8%, while in Europe it's 10%, as you see for yourself. Yes, public sector employment looks excessive when compared to the tax-paying private sector employees. But the key is, I think, to increase the, the latter. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, but how? It's the, the, the great question. How to increase the latter since you adopt a policy of, uh, let's say, deregulation in the labor market and of internal devaluation, that is devaluation of the assets of the economy. So the, um, the, the bonus strategic, let's say, mistakes of the MOU was, in my view, the 
the, the so-called obsession of the of, with internal devaluation of private sector wages, private sector wages, not with growth enhancing structural reforms, and obsession with the large number of public sector employees. Yes, I understand. They wanted to break the taboo, as uh, uh, Konstantinos Mitsotakis have told me. Uh, but at what cost, for example? Uh, and then, in order to do that, even if you wanted to break the taboo, you have to, in a way, sort of, you know, evaluate the structures and persons, and then you fire people. And you, and if you want to fire people, you fire them from 2011 or 2010, not in 2014. Even today, without any plan to 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 restructure uh, 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 basic, uh, let's say, fields of the state. Uh, yes, this is a mistake, which I call the fifth failure of the of the, of, let's say, the troika, or because you know troika and the government go head in hand in kicking the gun down the road. So, uh, but I would say. Troika for abbreviation. <laughs> so you never put labor market deliberation ahead of product market liberalization. And this is, you find all this evidence from in the OECD working papers, papers written down by uh, uh, Nicoletti and Spavetta and others. Um, and to, it, it, I think it's not the, the smart way to do that, I mean to reform, to regulate labor markets in the middle of an emerging um, depression, I would say, even though they are not number one problem because of huge self-employment, but don't deregulate and re-regulate, don't reform aggressively at the same time. I think that the Troika did not understand the role and persistence of rents in, in, in protecting uh, uh, sectors, and they haven't read uh, Pelagides and Mitsopoulos, of course. <laughs> So, uh, if you need the evidence for that, producers' prices move much more sluggishly than cost, and the result is a larger than planned reduction in real wages. These are not very nice figures, but I will try to explain to you. Um, the, uh, this is the real exchange rate based on, this is uh, not ours, that's why it is so bad here. <laughs> uh, we manufacture all with Mike uh, all the uh, figures from the database of Ameco, uh, World Bank, etc. But this is taken from from Bruegel, I think. Yes, it's from Bruegel uh, last week. Um, this is the real effective exchange rate based on unit labor cost. This is the down panel, and the and the Greece is the yes, the blue one. And the, the, the uh, and GDP deflator performance relative to the rest of the EU, 1999-2014, the blue-green, green, yes, blue-green. So the, the up panel is the GDP deflator performance, and the down is the unit labor cost. So you see that the, the, in, in, the, in the up panel, uh, how prices are resisting, and you down, you see the unit labor cost, which goes down. So there's a problem in the product, product markets, they had to they had to see that from the beginning, from the inception of the program, and the first thing they had, I think, they had to do is to reform the product market, so uh, uh, an internal evaluation policy uh, have uh, could have worked 
much more, let's say, uh, effectively or easily. Yes, this is, I'm worrying, if this is a happy end, uh, since the title of the lecture is a growth project, but uh, you have a picture of the crisis of the 29, so the, the, the practical problem is that here I see is that the um, that the, is that the private sector the private sector has to be alive in any case uh, to pay the taxes that will pay the debt of the government instead of you know putting all the taxes to the private sector instead of cutting expenditures or the rent seeking expenditures um, yes, and the Oscar goes to Greece, uh, ten, minutes. 10 minutes, GDP <coughs> is so much down, relatively speaking also, and unemployment is up, over 1 million jobs lost, 28% uh, unemployment, uh, the projection is yes, 28, and the unemployment uh, of youth are... Uh, is uh, uh, 14, uh, yes, is 60, it was 64, now it's 61. So the, 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 the combined failures, let me summarize again, internal devaluation of productive sector, but not equally of public sector, the first couple of years. Tax heavily, but don't cut aggressively excess expenditure, so inflation is up and competitiveness is down. Third, deregulate labor markets in the middle of an, of an emerging depression, even though they are not number one problem because of safety problem, but don't reform aggressively at the same time, the product markets in particular, and scare away investors with Brexit talk and having bondholders, that is mainly the Greek banks, uh, take the hit um, for the failure to promote growth and has reforms. This is how your sovereign crisis debt crisis turns into a full-blown depression. And the stupid question is how a country with a depression of the century can at the same time pay back a storm of maturing officially held bonds. So this is why uh, after five years of recession and so much collateral damage, austerity does not seem to be, at least so far, a growth model. Has anything changed uh, since 2013? Yes, uh, Greece is not considered to be... Uh, is it a success story? I don't know, but it's, it's not a scapegoat. Uh, no more scapegoat? Yes, some bounded good news is that now we have... Uh, it's not zero, the primary... Uh, it's the, the primary balance is not zero, it's now uh, 0 0.8 and is projected to be even more in 2014. So, um, uh, the, let's say that the budget is, is, is balanced, and the 10-year government bonds yields are down, of course, to around 6%. This is really good news. Uh, there are some fiscal at last structural reforms already implemented, uh, among them the social security reform, healthcare reform, yeah, of course, a reform in, in budgeting and fiscal reporting, the uh, accelerating drive against tax evasion, this is, this is true, yes, and some other implementing growth enhancing structural reforms, some examples, uh, the 40 and 50% you see is uh, 
we are in the middle of the road, let's say uh, half pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> the export facilitation it's it's very important for the country and the establishment of one-stop shops, etc. But there are plenty of issues to be addressed in order to be competitive again on these matters. But despite many things have been done, especially during 2013 and the first month of 2014. Uh, one is wondering where have these things gone, and my view is that they were implemented too late and reluctantly, so markets seem that never, that never took notice. And the second is that uh, now the depression means that you don't get the upside of these unprecedented reforms, so there's a, some kind of reform fatigue which is gaining some political ground, so that uh, is, uh, you know, with creates difficulties implementing uh, financial, economic and financial reforms again. So, the, the, it, I said it's, it's the depression stupid because you have to do something now about the depression and these reforms will indeed show results and we used to discuss only the, uh, the coming haircut or we need a haircut or what we're going to do with the, the, the sky high debt, etc. The problem is the depression in my view. Some about good news, uh, even after a fall of 23% of GDP, the private sector is still not overburdened by debt. This is very important. It's Greece and um, uh, red for loans to corporations, blue loans to households, and uh, loans to households, the, the uh, yellow again, uh, rather low. And there you go, another uh, couple of graphs. Uh, taken from the uh, latest report of the Institute of International Finance. Last week, again, uh, Greece is relatively speaking down uh, as far as household debt and corporate debt is concerned, something like 50 or 60 percent. These are good news, I think. But there are also risks. Uh, these percentages for Greece is before the PSI. Now the debt is at level of 176, 70, yeah, think something. Um, the, yeah, there you go. This, this, this is the distance between the evolution of the GDP and the uh, existing loans. And this distance shows that um, exactly that we have a problem with non-performing loans, which is sky high, more than 30, 35%. Uh, uh, far away from, from Spain, Portugal, and, and mostly in these countries the debt is private and not public, so I think I would expect to see Portugal and Spain much higher, but Greece is much higher. Anyway, this is a... Um, um, yes, this is a graph that I manufactured last week. This is the differential between uh, the um, the um, yes the difference between the, the 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 Greek and the EU average of interest rates and you see w how unfortunate is the environment the financial environment that the enterprises in Greece are uh, are facing and this is also a, let's say a reply to Daniel Gross who last week said in an article published in the uh, Vox or the it was in Vox or in uh, the project syndicate telling that uh, 
the main problem of, of, of Greece is that uh, the, the, it's the weakness of firms concerning uh, export performance. And yes, this is, I mean, there's a stagnation regarding exports in Greece, especially in 2013, but this is because the problem that we have in Greece is uh, that uh, we have problem of liquidity and problem also of high interest rates. So uh, it's not so easy to, for country, for firms to uh, orient, reorient its, uh, let's say, their strategies towards exports. Much needed. So the main policy deficit now, let me summarize, uh, is a comprehensive strategy to restore reasonable conditions of financing in the private sector. Uh, replenishing core capital of banks is not enough strategy to stabilize trust and make money of a much larger magnitude. Flow voluntarily in the country is needed. Still, and the, the, the thing that I said before, that still dealing with a depression as if it still were a sovereign debt crisis. It is not, this is not debt sustainability so much now. If this is my view. I will show you a graph and some data uh, in the last uh, slides of my presentation. The key is to finance again the productive economy, putting it back on track and make, yes, make the debt sustainable again. So there's a, another risk, uh, last, uh, last week uh, risk, let's say, which is that the, um, the IMF uh, is whispering that banks need not 6 billion, 5 or 6, that the Black, Blackstone, the BlackRock, sorry, uh, has said, has reported, but it needs uh, 20 or 25 billion more. Uh, yes, Brexit might be back anytime, thanks to the creditors again. Um, yes, every time they visit the country, uh, they create this kind of, uh, let's say, uh, fragility. And then uh, we would say good luck with your money again. Uh, if, he, if this Brexit number two provokes a bank run, or even cancel the reboot of the real economy. And let me just say that depositors, not in Cyprus, but in, in Greece, are a bit, you, know, you know, are heroes. Uh, they still insist on the Greek banking system. We have in our banking system 161 billion with uh, uh, euros with a GDP of 183. Well, I mean, it's not, I mean, you know. Still 120 yeah. down from what it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. The Greeks have taken their money out. Well, plenty of them, but uh, <laughs> and two minutes, yeah. Brexit <coughs> number one, Brexit <coughs> number two, scare away deposits, scare away investors, create a huge cost of money for the private sector. These are very well-known things. Create financial suffocation. Well, let me just present you three or four slides about section three, which is uh, what to do with this kind of mess. It's it's not an easy question. Come on, I mean, we are not magicians. Uh, we were just trying to find uh, a happy end <laughs> to, to tell something new about the future. And, and yeah, yes, go beyond the comparative advantage stereotypes like, you know, races, you know, tourism and shipping and nothing more. Well, the exports of fuel are 6.2 billion. Exports of goods, this is very important, 13 billion. We should not underestimate the manufacturing system. This is very important. 
so um, yes, this is the um, from um, uh, innovation scoreboard. This is a moderate innovator, so we focused on innovation. A couple of positions uh, uh, fall since 2008, but this is not so bad. So uh, we also uh, went through the relevant literature and we're trying to see the important points for a country to, to be a great innovator. For example, the role of competitive forces to drive innovation, the challenges to finance innovation, employment creation, uh, and other things. And so we are um, trying to see why Greek firms spend so uh, little money on innovations is only 0.3% of GDP. Uh, the hypothesis is that since certain sectors of the economy should become competitive, the only option is through innovation. Uh, if we, let's say, if, if it's not a choice to 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 reduce wages again, wages again. So we investigated business spending R&D in a number of countries, in 270, I think. And we looked at the policy variables that are correlated and correlate with good performance in terms of private research and development. Uh, and the result is that uh, it seems that everything has to fit well together, such as variables regarding the burden of custom procedures, the venture capital availability, the value change breadth, the quality of the government, which is very important the control of corruption, the government effectiveness, the efficiency of justice, the efficiency of education, yes, the rule of law, etc. And following the data analysis, uh, we formulated, uh, this is just a brief, uh, the following main proposals for Greece. There's existing research capacity along with the noteworthy fiscal infrastructure. The breadth of the value added chain is important. The breadth, yeah. Uh, the importance of finance, the respect for property, intellectual property need to be policy priorities also, and governance and politics and, and the, the faction of the political parties in general needs to improve. Uh, I would like to thank you and please be optimist because the debt is fully sustainable thanks to the God of Greece. <laughs> These are the financial needs of the of the country. Uh, the total financial needs, 305. It's, it's huge, but the maturities are 17.2, but it's 19 right now. So it's very poor. The maturity is very high, Elias, very high. And the problem we got is basically for the next couple of years, which is something like the debt maturing in its. Uh, Yes, 24 plus 16 plus plus. But thank God, as I said, yeah, we have the Troika. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, thank you, Thor. Uh, okay. Stopping here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. um, thank you. I usually don't get my time to ask my uh, questions, so I will uh, warm the audience up with uh, uh, my question. You, you almost cunningly said that you aggregate the Greek government into the Troika and you use the term Troika as a shortcut. Uh, but I guess really the, the, the question is whether the recipe that came from outside was problematic and all these failures that you described, or 
whether there was, there was the inability of the government or the unwillingness of the government to actually implement things that made the recipe harsher and the situation internally worse, because no matter what the recipe, if you don't implement it, you wouldn't expect... I said they had the power to press the government. Yes, but, uh, I mean, do, do you have a, a sense of where, you know, the, the, the majority of the fault or the failure uh, lies? I remember we had Paul Thompson here three years ago now, um, and after the public lecture, sort of privately, he said that uh, uh, if, the, if the government is unable to reform, then there will be a level of depression that will make the country reform. And I felt very scared at the time, but now I see that, you know, he, uh, yeah, he had true. a plan. Uh, so, so in that sense, you know, but the, the point was that the government wasn't able to reform. So can you tell us a bit more about, you know, we can use the, the Troika as a shortcut term, but is the recipe or is the implementation the, the main it, source? It, it's, it's both. It's both, I think. I mean, the Troika needed, come on, Vasily, the, the Troika needed three years to understand that all the projections were wrong. Come on, I mean... It's uh, it, that, that's amazing. Uh, we had uh, wrong projections. Uh, we had clear signs that the the, the, the program uh, was off the track, and and we had the government, especially during the. I don't want to blame people. I mean, you know, I don't I don't want to get involved into the politics right now, but we had an incapable government, especially during the period 2010-2012 for reasons. Uh, and the political system that could not uh, handle and manipulate the kind of mess that the country was um, involved because of the wrongs of the past. So uh, it, is, it is both. If you are creditor and you have the money, you press the government to do the right thing. Otherwise, you don't give the money. So my, my, my response is that they had the, the, the power to, to, to press the government. Otherwise, one has to presume that you need three years to understand that the program is wrong. Not the program is wrong, but the, 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 the way that the program is implemented is wrong. And, and another thing is that I think that we have to distinguish between the, the macroeconomics of the program and the structural reforms. The memorandum of understanding, the, the first and by agreement, if you you know, go and, and read, uh, like many politicians haven't done, <laughs> read the, uh, the, the, the documents. The documents are good. I mean, I mean, they give the same emphasis between the tax increase and uh, uh, expenditure, uh, cutting, of, cutting expenditures. But when you see the government taxing the productive sector, the private sector, in order just to protect uh, the rent-seeking um, uh, party people um, embedded in the state, then you have to do something. They did nothing. Uh, instead of that, we experienced the uh, nightmare period of 2012, where in order to convince the government to, to implement the changes, the structural, the progressive, I would say, structural reforms, they started uh, uh, they started to do the so-called Grexit talk. So confidence was completely lost, and the program was completely... Uh, it was bust. I mean, the country was bust. Come on, it was a nightmare. The last months of 2012 was a nightmare.
So, uh, you know, let's say hand in hand. Okay. Uh, Kevin? This is asked the political science question, so can I ask the economics question? It's obviously reversal of roles. Um, this is a strategy from outside which is um, crude and insensitive to Greece's needs. It's a government which can't implement uh, reforms. Uh, why isn't your conclusion that Greece should actually leave the euro? It, 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 it's, it's like um, uh, being, uh, let's say, 50 years old and you are a lawyer and then you decide you want to become a doctor. After 15 years being in the Eurozone and having saved your comparative advantages to be, let's say, yes, competitive with the sectors like tourism or, you know, or other things, uh, agricultural products, etc. And then you decide to leave the euro. This is this is this doesn't make any sense. I would say that um, you had to be very cautious, telling the people during the 90s that in order to be well adjusted, we have to do some reforms, open the markets, uh, product market reforms, open professional markets and modernize the state, etc. Yes, I would say that uh, um, you could have never been part of the Eurozone if you wanted to. But being a member of the Eurozone and then you decide to go out, this is, uh, this is absurd. I mean, come on, you cannot do that. I mean, it's, it's not responsible. But when there is not any argument well, some people say, you know, Paul Krugram says that you have to be outside the euro. Uh, many other analysts like uh, Rubini and others. All right. I mean... Rookie economists. But, come on, I mean, th this, is, uh, this is a different story. Even uh, the um, a professor of uh, LSE, William Buiter, which is now head of the Citibank. department of Citibank, you know what, what was uh, his predictions about Greece? 80-85% liberalism. And just one year before, the predictions of the, of, of the Citigroup was again uh, a recession of 7% for 2013 and 14% for 2014. Come on, you have to be serious and see the data, see whether that, for example, is sustainable and trying to, let's say, save the country and trying to think what are we going to do with our comparative advantages. This is the strategy for the country. What will offer to you, uh, uh, let's say, uh, coming back to draft? Increase of exports, when your value added is so weak, for example, when your imports are uh, 25% of GDP, what? How are you going to compete? And second, this is not going to be, uh, let's say, a, a, a better solution for wages, because either you devalue internally or you devalue nominally, having a, your own currency, the, let's say the, the, um, the result is the same. 
and I would say I would say that the result is more unfair when you devalue when you are in a drachma, for example, because the devaluation uh, has a horizontal, uh, let's say, impact on high and low wages, for example. Good. Um, that's very interesting. Um, the story about wages, as I understood it, you're saying that part of the problem was that prices were going up and wages were going down. And you also to compensate for the things that... Showed that I think you say that wages were 19, 18% of GDP or something like that? That's yes, 80% of GDP. It's, it's very low, I would say, said, because another fact that's so low is not because wages are down, but we have to take into account that 40 or 45% of the labor is self-employed. So when you estimate labor, you actually estimate, it, estimate half of the labor think you have in the country. I think there was also private sector wages. Yes, yeah. private sector, yeah. Private sector wages. Yes, of course. But, um, I mean, if you want to have an internal devaluation, you want to reduce real wages, right? At least to an extent, yes. Therefore implies that wages have to fall faster than prices. So, where you've got that gap opening up, basically, that shows the success of the policy in reducing real wages, doesn't it? In order to have a success of this kind of policy is to have prices going down in order to increase your exports and yeah, be competitive. The price data you're showing there is for the, the country as a for the, for the economy as a whole. It's yes. not prices in the export sector. You may have prices rising faster than wages in the economy, but for export sectors, if wages are falling but becoming more Competitive. Yeah, but Did that includes the export sector. Lower prices in, in the export sector. How are you going to have lower prices in export sectors? If, if, if for, example, your, for example, your value add, your domestic value add is so low, and, and for the other part of the value added, the prices are coming from traded goods from outside. So either you uh, have prices up from the tradable sector from the outside, as an intermediate, or you have the domestic, let's say, value added, trying, firms trying to export, then you get the same thing. I mean, you get higher prices, so you're trying to lower prices, if you want, by reducing wages more and more. But that reduces expenditures again. It looks like real wages are falling, and I think you need to look at what are the export prices to see whether the export set is competitive. Yeah, yes, I, I understand. Uh, so you want me to, to break down the, the, the number and uh, see? I'll, I'll do that, but I, I don't think, uh, I don't remember a very different development between the two, let's say, things you mentioned. Uh, of course, uh, during 2013, as prices went down, that was supposed to help exports, but on the other hand, exports were stagnant mm. during 2013, and that is because the firms have been exhausted by high interest rates and uh, illiquidity. So the problem has many variables. That's why I'm emphasizing that the problem has to be found in depression and not so much in something to do with debt.
because the debt is yes is high but the troika has made a good thing and said it all after 2025 and that's true and he has already also uh, reduced interest rates and I think that after the elections we'll do the same again so if you see the um, uh, period uh, 2016 to 2024 uh, the average yearly GG debt maturing is only 6.9 billion it's very low and the average annual servicing cost during the whole period until 2047, 20, it's only 5% of GDP. 5% of GDP we had before the crisis. So it's not unsaveable, I would say. Yes, we need some help, especially for the um, uh, coming years, 2014 and 2015, in which this is very important. That table depicts the problem we have for the 2014 and 2015, which is the debt maturing for the uh, and plus interest payments, and the total servicing cost is 33 billion and 25.9 billion. So for the next two years, we have around uh, 60 billion to service, and finance from the IMF is uh, yes, 30. So we need to find. Uh, through privatization, through you know uh, primary surpluses, etc., um, 7.8% of GDP, which is really high, and that's why yes, we need some kind of again rearrangement. But I would I would tell you something, Kevin. The political system uses this kind of let's say adversities for the for the next couple of years to to, to say to the Troika that we need help again. Because they need some money, I mean the political system itself, to survive. Otherwise, they're going to be changed like the T-shirts, you know. I thought this was part of your optimistic slide, so... Uh. Well, it is, it is, it is. <laughs> if you see the financing of the 2013, it's the primary surplus of 2013, mm. which is half billion. It's the primary surplus, although that the series I had said that they, they don't believe in the primary surpluses, they believe in zero surpluses. Uh, either cases are not textbook economics, Elias. I mean, if you want to uh, implement a kind of policy of uh, counter-cyclical, you need some kind of, uh, yes. I mean, after all, you are left uh, with the party. You need some kind of deficit in order to, to fight the recession. But to say that the right thing is uh, zero, come on. I mean, this is... Uh, and yes, privatization revenues is four billion. Is it is it too much for billion? They're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rhetorical you know, question. It's not so easy to to sell, you know, the public firms during a recession period. I think that the Troika understands that very well. Uh, but uh, it is projected for the Greek state to sell uh, 14 uh, public organizations during 2014. Well, if this program succeeds uh, if we have elections and we have, uh, you know, another government. I don't know. Maybe it, uh, in this case that would be unsustainable. But, I mean, looking at the numbers... Uh, okay, let's take another question. Yes, right. sorry. Uh, I'd like to bring back the, um, the relationship between internal devaluation and the banking system. I think it's somehow missed. 
Now, we all, the, we all know that the banking system is very important for investment because it provides credit to investors. Uh, and the key to recovery is investment. However, internal devaluation, we, we, we first encounter with Greece yes. because we don't have the, the ability to, to devalue the, the, the currency. We know that unlike monetary devaluation, in which future liabilities also are denominated, including mortgages of the past, the whole, all, the whole prices, including uh, denomin uh, 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 mortgages and loans denominated in a hard currency, are now denominated in a weaker currency. Whereas with internal devaluation, we have the discrepancy between wages and prices at, at today, and the, the loans and mortgages and other you know, li liabilities and assets which the banking system calculated at a time when we had a bubble. Yes. And therefore, we end up with a zombie banking system, which cannot provide credit, which is which cannot actually refuel the help refuel the economy in the first place. Yeah, but it's not the fault of the banking system. Yes, yeah, be it's not. because you know the the bonds that you know. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that uh, the, the the internal devaluation possibly is possibly responsible for a slow death of the Greek economy, and this is the fact the idea that we are still trapped in the eurozone still having a currency which we can't devaluate, and we end up with a banking system yes, but they do help the us. of the old prices. Yes, but they do help prices. us. They do help us. They have allow us to, to borrow uh, 40 something, 48 billion, mm -hmm. in order to save the banking system. Which wouldn't have happened had we decided, had we decided to exit. That would be a complete disaster. To do what? Mm. I mean, you're going to lose your deposits. Are you ready to, to accept that? I, I was sure that we uh, Maybe an unemployed is ready to accept that because yeah. he has run out of currency, uh, of deposits. Yes, I know. I know. But after all, this is, a, this is not a classless yeah. society. Yeah. I understand your point. Yeah. But why are you saying that if we had exit in 2010, for instance? No banking the, system the, the, at all. The, the banking no. system would have collapsed we'll have, completely. Yeah, there okay. are examples of countries that, you know, if you have your uh, 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 currency and carry yeah. on. But if you have your deposits evaporate, then there's no banking system. Where are you going to find the money to pay your, the debt back? I mean, come on. Then. What would have been the exchange rate position following mm -hmm. an exit? Not, not mention that. I mean, uh, what would have happened to that? Well, it, nobody, it, it, nobody knows. It is, and nobody knows. Uh, exactly, well, Professor. Uh, now that to start with, it'll be catastrophic. Well, I know, yeah. yeah. Well, the optimistic uh, estimations were 34 percent. The optimistic thing was the, the, a 34 percent variation. Only the optimistic, uh, yeah. Which that's so more like sky high depth. I mean, no, 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 no. 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 Not forgetting the in an area of. Um, yes, yes. I'm, I'm not saying it's the other option is good. I'm saying it's a dilemma between sudden death. And the possibility of recovery after five or six years, or the slow death. So, what do you choose? That we are going the to the possibility. You choose the, the, the it's possibility. It's an unprecedented situation. I mean, we, we never have a case of a country trapped in a monetary union experimenting <coughs> with internal yes. devaluation. Yes, that proves the difficulty of the, you know, of the thing in order to, yeah. And this is what Paul Thompson also has said that it's so difficult, you know, to to implement such kind of policy without the exchange rate channel and the interest rate channel. We know that. We know that. They made their mistakes. We, we said that. I mean. Although in Latvia, the IMF was insisting for external devaluation and Latvia resisted it and they got out of the crisis. 
maybe they didn't have the Greek government to what? to guide them, but uh, the Latvians got out of Latvia. Sorry? The Latvians got out of Latvia as well. Not all of them. <laughs> well, yes, but Professor. <laughs> 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 I think you rightly emphasize competitiveness. I'm with you on that 100%. Um, you then go on to say that uh, you discount uh, wages, uh, unit labor costs, uh, and you would emphasize instead uh, structural reform. Product market. Now, uh, let's try and see if we can sort of have some hypothetical numbers here. Would you say that as the as it was implemented, it was 90% wages, 10% structural reform, or 50-50, or what? And your alternative would be what? 90% um, structural reform and 10% wages. In uh, uh, the, the, what I'm trying to yeah. to get is how much burden can the structural reform carry? Can it be a complete no. substitute for no. you. Uh, unit labor cost? You. Can it be yeah. 50%? Can it be 10%? Nobody can tell you an exact number, but you uh, have uh, to. Yeah, you have to 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 begin from the first day of the program with product market reforms, and then you see if competitiveness go go goes well, for example, and. And you will see how much you need to devalue internally. But since the problem you have is high inflation, the first three years of the program, you have cumulatively 10% inflation, then uh, how much do you need to decrease wages in order to, uh, let's say, compensate for this kind of adversity? Yes, so you have to do first to see because there's no yeah. time. This is really I understand. with the guillotine over your head. I know, but on the other hand, you wait four years, four years and a half, in order to start talking about the milk and the beer and the pharmacies and the, all this kind of, uh, let's say, rigidities you face in the product market. So my view is you have to do first these things at any cost, and then you will see. Maybe you will uh, need to devalue internally wages 10% or 20%, I don't know, I'm not sure. The things will show you how much you need to devalue wages in order to restore competitiveness. I don't have the recipe for that. I don't have the right number. Uh, what, what is very, what is not so nice is uh, that, uh, as Larry Summers has said, uh, in a, 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 in cases that you have a bubble, you fight the bubble with a bubble. You fight the bubble, in other words, with uh, some kind of uh, uh, counter-cyclical policy. And in the Greek case, you, you don't have any option to do that. I mean, any channel, not monetary, no fiscal, no income, not any other policy. In the period um, 1986, you were responsible for this, um, let's say, uh, stabilization program you apply the mixture of policies. Am I remembering well? It was not a, a let's say, a, a, well, a, a one-sided austerity a, policy at the time. But only one instrument to us. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, can, uh, yeah. Yeah.
Can I get back to the banks? Oh, yes, I'm deposited. Um, the, uh, <laughs> you have deposits. <laughs> pay all kinds of interest. Most of them shouldn't be declared anywhere. Um, but uh, did, I, I, I mean, the, the, the high default level, which went past me there, the um, whispers from the IMF um, of the size of the recapitalization, which came up somewhere at the yeah. very end. And the fact that um, a few days ago, the major banks appear to be remarkably successful in raising um, money for recapitalization purposes from a variety of sources. I then begin to wonder how and who was putting that money in and why. Not, not all of them. Some of them did. I mean, some of them were well oversubscribed. Yes, some of them. Um, but some of them, some of them possibly were also were getting money because people were being driven into pushing money into them and one of the sources of investment for various institutional investors, including um, building pension funds. Now, as a result of the kind of things which I'm interested in, I'm more used to seeing pension funds being dragooned into uh, rescuing um, dodgy um, organizations, be they governments or banks, um, rather too often. So, um, can you comment upon this supposedly Successful. successful. This supposedly successful uh, recapitalization in the context of this extraordinarily high uh, non-performing loan rate and of the whispers which are going around at the moment. And the fact that basically the data of the banks, like we're still in that situation of the graph that we showed at the end where uh, the borrowing rates are extraordinarily high and nobody's prepared to let out any money to the industry. Yeah. The, uh, the Alpha Bank and the Piraeus have better results and better prospects of the future. The problem is Eurobank and, and the National Bank of Greece, so you have to differentiate here. And second, uh, yes, 20 or 25 billion. This is a system pay as you go. I mean, now the needs of the bank are 5 or 6 or even 7 billion. This is, uh, this is true. But if this situation continues, then the banking system, yes, will need 20, 25 billion. So that depends on the depression, let's say. Yes, I many today. On that, on that basis, if I knew that, I wouldn't have been oversubscribing. Uh, yeah. Let me also say, excuse me, Elias, that the, um, unlike Spain, Ireland, uh, in Greece, most non-performance loans are loans to corporate, to businesses. So if a strategy to deal with the depression is implemented, uh, a lot of this can be salvaged, at least partly unlike uh, more money sunk in a huge real estate project nobody wants in, in Ireland or in Spain. So it all depends what you will need. It all depends on the, the prospects are good for the economy. Right? I mean, relatively speaking, good. I mean, we are expecting 1% GDP growth for the first time this year. Why? Why? Uh, yes. And that would um, make um, that will stop the degradation of the quality of the loan portfolios. That would help the value of collaterals. Well, that's. I mean, you know, it's a. It's a set pay as you go. I mean, so that's why I'm emphasizing that you have to stop 
depression. You have to see your GDP increasing. We have an increase in new jobs, 130 million jobs, thousand, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because the um, still the unemployment is high. It's, uh, it's uh, 20, 20, almost 28 percent, and that's because we have some new uh, families, you know, uh, households need to intending to enter the labor market. So the labor force participation is increased, and that's why, despite the fact you have net increase of jobs, you don't see that decrease in unemployment rates. But that creates, let's say, incomes that will pay back the debt in banks, and you know. It depends. Well, then I didn't quite know what that 25B is set against the 6B. If you take uh, into account I mean, all, it, it, all, all loans in delay, yes, in order to re... Um, yes, in order to help the economy you need 20-25 billion, yes. But if you get all the loans, not the loans that are dead right now. Okay. All right, Elias, I thank you. I participated into two. Uh, you get warrants. Uh, you get free warrants. Heavily discounted rights issues, so it's free money. For the existing investors, it is free money. It is free money for this, yes. So I think that's why this are also described. So that's the trick. Now, um, but there's still the fear of bail-in and, you know, and, and the political risk factor. I think that may, I mean, I still believe that um, the needs are more close to 25 billion rather than to six, personally. Because one of the things that uh, I think the IMF takes into account and the Bank of Greece does not is the very low, the very high loss given default. Mm. Uh, I know personally because I. <coughs> was acting as an advisor to the Commercial Bank of Greece. Part At the time. I did, well, in 2002, 2003, mm. and I did a study yeah. of what they recover yeah. when a, a, a company goes bankrupt. Yeah. It takes about 10 years yeah. to recover the money. Mm. When you discount it, it comes close to less than, well, I calculate 12%, but it's about yeah. 10%. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a huge loss in case a corporate for households, of course, now the situation has changed. I mean, you can, you know, two options, you can, you can accelerate the process. But for corporations... But not so much, depends well, on the... Yeah. The average time, as I said, was sort of you know, nearly 10 years. Uh, so I think 25 is, is much closer to the, uh, to the real needs. But I'm very hopeful that the corporate sector is recovering. But not right now, please. Well, no. it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, let me give you some, oh, yeah. give you some examples. I think one in five kitchen sinks that one buys in the UK are produced in Greece. I mean, two sea bass that you eat comes from Greece. Yeah, no. Yes, that, that's in the UK alone. Uh, this, uh, this, this has been a huge success in exports. It's unfortunate that in Greece you have to go through this vicious recession for companies to so have this reorientation in there. They're not doing well in the food sort of export because the quality is very low. But in some but, sense, but, but they do in, in small, well, pharmacy. 
pharmaceuticals and pharmaceuticals and the heavy industry, yes, but we don't have many of heavy industry uh, uh, in Greece. But let me get to my main question. That was my way of information to me. Now, I think that it's, I think your idea of uh, product market reform to come preceding, to it. precede, I think it's, it's, it, it's the correct one. But you have a problem. Not a feasible one, yeah. Yes, I mean, it takes a long time. And, and, and you have the democracy's sort of, you know, sword that we have. So you have what is, what is quick and dirty. Uh, the, the, the public sector could not be effective. I mean, you could not have reduction. Power. I mean, the 5.8 administrative, I've seen this figure. 6 point whatever, I've seen one 5.8. Uh, I mean, uh, they exaggerate. They exaggerate the, um, because, you know, you have to have a well-managed system with, you know, command and control at every stage. And Greece does not have, the public sector in Greece does not have this system which can measure, implement, and can work without this waste. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that will take another 10 years to reach, you know, to that stage that you are, uh, uh, yeah, you are claiming. And, and then, to cut... Uh, 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 the civil service by say 200,000 uh, some numbers well what do you do with this people? I mean they're not skilled they're not intelligent they're not very well educated uh, and so, so what do you do with this but the level of education in the public sector is much right. higher than in the right. years of schooling. 50% are, are, sort of, you know, have only done three years of public education. This is well known, yes. This is 50%. So but, but it's still better than in the private sector. Well, what do you get? Three years of high school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you remember anything from that? <laughs> <But> Everything. I understand your point. It but was a good, I think it was a good policy. Wake has failed, I think is that there was not investment at the same time to take advantage of low wage, sort of get into slightly more innovative activities to help the, uh, the, um, the, the, the experts. I think we haven't seen that. Yes. Who is going to invest with such kind of degradation of assets? This is, uh, this is not, I mean, come on. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's actually, when you have this this, I mean, the cost of capital has not increased significantly because if you come from abroad, yes, but the market is still closed. I mean, it's not so easy to enter certain last pockets of. I think it was the political climate that run the political party. Of course, there is a season of votes and reports, etc. I think that was the missing element, and that's what is missing. A lot of capital take advantage of low cost, low cost without investment. Yes, but they're, they're, excuse me, they are, that's, that's the point. That's yes, the point. Yeah. There are structural reforms and structural reforms. Uh, the uh, the inefficiencies that are embedded in the state. It's so, yes, you're right. I mean, so you, it will take years in order to correct the distortions. I would say, but there are easy things you can do. I mean, deregulate drugs, lawyers, notaries public, pharmacists, doctors, 
uh, engineers. I mean, come on, it, it, it will take a couple of months to do all these things. If you have the political uh, willing to, to do that and tell the people. Because most of what you mentioned also is, is services. Yes. Seminar. <laughs>